Hi, it's dating coach Chris Luna from Craft Charisma. Welcome to the Craft Charisma podcast, our free audio coaching program where we interview the top experts in the world at helping you become the man you've always wanted to be. My guest today is Wayne Levine. Wayne is a California-based life coach, speaker, and author with a background in clinical psychology. He's the director of Better Men's Coaching, where he coaches men to be the best fathers, husbands, and leaders they can be. He's also the author of the best-selling book, Hold On to Your Nuts, the relationship manual for men available on Amazon. Uh, I mean, your book's great. Wayne, can you tell me a little bit about or tell the listeners a little bit about kind of how you came up with the idea, what it's about? Well, NUTS stands for Non-Negotiable Unalterable Terms. So these are the things that um, define us as men, that uh, we're committed to as men. And these are the things that if we compromise them in relationships, in life, we'll become resentful, angry, pissed off, and we'll take it out on the people we love most. So in other words, if we give our nuts away, if we compromise our nuts, it's like giving our balls away. And men know what that means. I mean, even as young guys, you've seen that in high school when your friends start selling your friendship out for a girl and what that looks like for them, what it feels like for you. So that double entendre, it really has meaning. So we can't give away our nuts. We have to be very clear about who we are as men. So um, the book um, is intended to help men figure out who they are and then how to apply those nuts to long-term committed relationships. But even beyond those relationships, these nuts have meaning for all of us in the workplace and in our communities. I think this is so wonderful. Can you talk a little bit about some of the other nuts that men frequently give away? Well, if you don't know what's important to you, or if you are a pleaser because you grew up in a home where you learn to um, subjugate your own needs for someone else because you might have seen your father do it or your mother do it, if you want to avoid conflict at all cost because of maybe the abusive home that you came from, um, you will you have taken on coping mechanisms that are designed to protect you. And though they might have worked very well and they were successful for you as a kid, you're still employing those same behaviors now that you're older. And what you're doing is you're not having a voice, you're not communicating to the world or to your lover or to your employees or to anyone what you need. And so the idea now is that when you get clear about what's important to you, you'll start communicating those things. And it's at that point that you stop giving your nuts away. So you, it might be as simple as you don't like that kind of food, but you know your wife really likes it and she gets upset if you don't want to go. And you're afraid to say it. You're afraid to tell her the truth. So there are many men who are afraid to tell the truth in any number of circumstances because at some point in their lives, they were wounded by speaking their truth. So you're really talking about having guys be honest about what it is that they really want. Yes, exactly. Now, it's difficult for a lot of us to get to that point because of all of our life experiences and 
um, expectations we're trying to live up, live up to. But what we find, and you know, I, I run several men's groups here in SoCal, um, that men need some a little encouragement and a space where there are other men trying to do the same thing, and they pretty quickly have the experience of what it's like to tell the truth. Uh, but some guys, it takes a long time to tell the truth about themselves. They're uh, locked up with shame. They think there's something wrong with them because it was a, a message that they received many, many times as they were growing up. Um, so um, telling the truth first requires that you're willing to hear the truth yourself. Um, sometimes that can be terrifying for people to sort of confront because when you tell yourself the truth, it means that you're going to have to make changes in your life if you want to be authentic, and that could be very daunting. Can you give some examples of some of the things that come up in your workshops? Well, there are a few things. I, I run groups weekly, both here and on the phone, and we also have an annual retreat, so they're very different experiences. But the issues that men bring to group are about how they're unhappy in their relationships, how they're stuck in their careers, um, difficulty in parenting, their sons or daughters, um, feeling inadequate in any of those roles, um, feeling alone in the world, alone in this battle of life, um, having unsatisfactory sex lives, um, feeling the need to engage in porn or prostitutes or affairs or whatever to get what they would, would love to get from their mate, but for one reason or another can't and don't know how to change that. So if a guy can look at his behaviors and see, hey, I'm not happy, I'm drifting emotionally, I'm drifting physically, and it could be in a relationship, it could be at work, it could be in all aspects of his life, how the hell does he get back on track? Well, it can feel overwhelming. And I think what happens to most men is that they get overwhelmed, they get anxious, they get depressed, and then they get medicated. And they never really seek out the help that will change their lives. Um, and that's a big problem today. You know, we've been sold a bill of goods about, um, you know, pharmaceuticals uh, curing us, but they don't. And I guarantee you, no matter what medication you're taking, the problem that you have, in terms of how you relate to yourself and how you re relate to the world will keep coming back to bite you in the ass. Um, and so uh, once you ask for help, which is, again, something very difficult for men because we've been sort of socialized to believe that we shouldn't need help, we should be able to figure it out on our own. When you finally ask for help, you see that other men are experiencing the exact same frustrations exact same challenges as you are and that universality that connecting with other men is a big component in terms of moving forward and discovering whatever solutions you need for your particular situation it reminds me a lot of the bullshit myth of the rugged individual right this idea that we as men we don't need anybody we don't need anybody's help but the truth of the matter is that we're all interdependent and there's just so much that we can learn from men who've been on the planet a little bit longer or who've dealt with situations that we're struggling with. They've already had that experience. It sounds to me like part of what you do is provide that type of mentorship. Exactly. 
I, I really think of the work that we're doing here as fathering. I'm dad to a lot of these men. I teach them to father one another. I help them to become better fathers for their sons and daughters so that they grow up healthier. And we are, we are definitely interconnected. And you know, a big part of the work is not just teaching each other what we can get from each other as men, but being better, stronger, more compassionate, loving men for our women. Um, because unless we as men get what we need, it's difficult to give others what they need. So it's difficult to be compassionate and patient with your kids and with your wife when you feel empty. And what most men don't know is that what they're missing in their lives is that masculine connection. They just, they haven't seen it in their lifetimes, so it doesn't occur to them that it's what they need. Um, and it's been absent for a couple generations now, and you know, there used to be a time uh, back before the Industrial Revolution when men worked close to home. And so the men actually raised the boys. The women didn't raise the boys. The men did. So the boys were in, the, um, in this community of their fathers and uncles and cousins and men of the community learning a trade, learning what it meant to be a man in that community, right from wrong, how to deal with problems, right? And so that was just normal. Men at that time did not grow up confused about what it meant to be a man. And now we've got generations of men who are wrestling with this issue of what does it mean to be a man, which is just absurd. I absolutely agree with you. I mean, I think about far enough back to like the tribal society where uh, a woman is going to nurture a baby or, or nurture a child. But once that child can walk around and kind of take care of himself, he's going to follow his father on hunts and he might carry the, the chickens or something on the way back. Exactly. Right. And so right. what ha- happens is at a very young age, I mean, we're talking, uh, five, six, seven years old, he's going to begin to kind of be immersed in the male culture and, and begin to understand this is, this is what guys talk about. These are the problems that guys face. This is how you overcome them. And he's begins to become weaned off feminine nurturing. Although his mom will still be around here and there to probably patch his knee or whatever. The idea that the men in his life are the primary figures of guidance in, in his life. And, and we've, and I agree with you. I think we've lost that. Yeah. And uh, there, we have moments of that. Like most men will have, if their fathers were around, they'll remember time when they were with their dads and something really impactful happened. And, it, and uh, a guy um, taught me once that he called these spot welds, like these images of dad's hand on the stick shift of his car. You know, this moment is just seared into your memory. And we have those moments with dad where, oh, that's what it means to be a man. And that's how a man does it. But unfortunately, a lot of our fathers were unhealthy. And so those images are not necessarily healthy images of what it means to be a man. And so we grow up with that. And then we have to try to figure out, wait a second, I'm my father's son. I have a lot of his bad habits. How do I get rid of that? You know, what do I do to become the man that I really want to be? <laughs> the other thing I just want to mention about women is that, you know, we're, we are healthy when we have um, a healthy, balanced, input of the masculine and feminine. And 
the problem now is that men are too feminized because we are taught to see the world through our mother's eyes and a very feminine culture. Um, despite the imbalances with patriarchy, all that stuff, and it's a very big issue and it's real, but it's also very political, just in terms of an individual basis, um, we need to have equal amounts of male, masculine, and feminine. The, wind, the, the girls do also. The girls need that as well. So we need mom and dad. And we're living in a culture now that is, there are a lot of people saying that dads are dispensable, which is really frightening. You know, it's interesting because there's some guys who are listening to this who not only didn't have bad dads, they had no fathers. And it's, I mean, it's so hard for women in these situations uh, to kind of, how do you guide a man when you're not a man? You're, he has, he's going to have different issues and, and problems. I remember my father telling me once that his, like his experience with his mother when he was younger is, and there's, I kind of see a gap still, even in this example, but he said with his mother, when he was growing up, she was there to kind of nurture him and pick him up when he fell. But when he became a man, that's when his dad started taking a more pivotal role because he could ask him like man questions. What do I do? How do I handle my relationship with this woman or having these issues at work? And as we talked about, this really actually should have started a lot earlier. And in some cases, guys have to really go out of their upbringing in order to kind of find these relationships, which it sounds like this is a lot of kind of what you do. Yes. Yes. Uh, well, listen, I, I, my dad died when I was nine and I really don't have any memory of him. So it was a very traumatic event. And I was brought up by a single mom who was completely stressed, overwhelmed, very angry at the world and was angry at men because she was angry at my father for leaving her with three boys. So I grew up in that environment and never had a father figure, kept seeking one, and it wasn't until I was in my 30s when I did my first men's weekend that I realized, oh my God, this is what I need. I had no idea. I would have depression and loneliness and all sorts of things. Meanwhile, my life seemingly was fantastic. I had a successful business, married, two kids, a house, I'm doing good, but I was really unhappy inside. And there are many men who are very unhappy inside and they don't understand why. And unfortunately, they're trying to solve it with drugs, weed, alcohol, pharmaceuticals, whatever, rather than really dealing with it head on because most men have no idea where to go to deal with these issues. Something else I kind of want to talk about, and we talked a lot about kind of the, the core family structure and how that has an impact in the development of man, whether he has a, a great father figure or whether he doesn't have a very good father figure or whether he has a father figure at all. In my case, I was lucky I had a great dad, but he, my dad died when I was in my early 20s too. And so there's a lot more life ahead of you, even at 21 or 22. And there's so many problems we all face and all need help with as men. And we need it from other men. With this said, where are some of the other places you think that these messages come from that cause men to struggle with their masculinity and finding their voice? It's more like the water we're swimming in, the air we're breathing. It's, it's just part of our culture that the relationship between father and son is minimized. Men are ridiculed. They're the butt of jokes. There's been such a reaction to patriarchy and the imbalance that existed for women that since the, the, 
the feminism of the 60s and 70s were just sort of adrift and it's been politically unacceptable, socially unacceptable to take a stand for men. And um, there are many books written out there about how that shows up in our culture. Warren Farrell um, has written books about this. For instance, there are greeting cards that women can give to one another to get over a failed relationship. And the greeting card can insinuate that, uh, that you know, cutting off a man's penis or testicles would, would make you feel better. Uh, but you'd never see a greeting card that a man would send to another man that would suggest that he chop off a woman's breast. So that's just like an example. But, you know, I'll tell you something else. I, I, living in Southern California, I've had a lot of friends in the TV and movie industry and writers. And I've met a lot of comedy writers. And every single one of them, is highly feminized and very unhappy. And they write what they know. And so when you see these sitcoms about emasculated men, ignoramuses running families, this comes from a long tradition of sort of being that man and being grown, being, you know, raised by a man like that and then, you know, making fun of that man. Ultimately, we're making fun of all men, and the stereotypes just keep getting louder and louder and louder. You know, it's funny because it makes me think of a few things. One, there's a, a writing teacher out here, and she was really encouraged me after some major media broke to write a book. And she wanted me to write this article and get it published in the New York Times, like in their modern love section. She goes, I want you to write a piece about like something funny where you like you kind of make all the mistakes that are against the advice you give clients. And I said, well, that's not true. And she goes, well, don't you just like not follow your own advice? I'm like, well, no, nothing happens. Like in real real life relationships don't always happen the way that you imagine them. I mean, I wouldn't say like, I, I don't really imagine I'm more of the kind of person who lives in the moment, but why would I spend so much of my life trying to improve in this particular area if I wasn't going to follow my own advice? It's not true. Like I don't have those problems. It doesn't mean that I don't have other problems in my life, but these are what you're describing is just not true. And, uh, but she really wanted me to write this because she's like, oh, it will get picked up. And she's probably right. It might have got picked up, but like I just didn't feel like it was something that was helpful to the people who are who come through our programs because it was bullshit. And it, it made me think of like the fat, stupid dad on television or um i think better examples of like more quality men and is like guys like we go i went back and recently and i was watching episodes of bill cosby where he's a father but he's and he's funny but he's smart and he's nurturing and he's helpful do you have thoughts on that yeah of course well it reminds me of my own nut about how i run my life so my non-negotiable unalterable term is i do as i see fit now, I'm a few years older than you, so I've like been at this, been sort of encouraged, beaten up about how I ought to run my business, how I ought to conduct myself. And I'm at a point now that I don't give a shit what anybody thinks about what they think I should do because I now know what I do. I will not engage in media that undermines my core principles. I don't care about um, how much publicity I might get. I won't do it. I won't be a part of reality television unless I'm the executive producer. 
because I've seen what happens to people participating in these shows. And I get calls probably once or twice a month from people wanting me or my men to be part of some bullshit television pilot. And I've had some experiences I've learned, and I won't be a part of it. So that might mean that my practice, my reach is somewhat limited, but I'm okay with it because it's going to be pure. I'm doing it the way I want to do it. And, you know, there are many models out there for the kind of work that we do. And um, the leaders of these businesses, almost to a man, I do not trust on an energetic, intuitive level. I don't trust um, because I think it matters who the messenger is. I yeah. think it matters. And, and, what, and what they do. I, I actually went through exactly what you're describing last year. I got booked to go on Anderson Cooper. And it was bullshit. They wanted me to, I've never really talked about this before. I mentioned I was going to be on Anderson and, and decided not to do it, but they wanted to, um, send some, the producers wanted to send somebody to my house. They wanted to stage the entire thing. And it was something that was not consistent with who I am as a human being, my message. I mean, it would have got a lot of publicity. Who knows how much money I would have made for basically having a 10 minute segment on Anderson Cooper because they wanted to make it a, a big portion of the show. But it was, I mean, it was absolute bullshit. They wanted to characterize me, my business, as somebody who's teaching guys how to be womanizers, that I was a womanizer. And that's not what we're teaching. We're teaching guys how to develop exactly the type of things that you're talking about. How to become a better man. How do you more clearly define the things that you want? How do you have standards for yourself? How do you find your masculine voice? And um, I think this is, the things that you're talking about here are, are so, so, so true. Hey, listen, I've made my own mistakes. We, we were on a segment on The Daily Show. And I got a lot of hits to the site. I mean, a lot of people came and they learned about us. And in the end, I'm okay with it because anybody who really understands The Daily Show understands that people are being satirized and it's part of the deal. But um, in the end, I thought, well, okay, I've done that. That doesn't really feel good to me. It's one way to get the message across, but it doesn't really feel good. And um, everybody in, in PR, they're wanting what they want. But, it, but it's, it's, it's like that everywhere, and that's the point. Everyone has an agenda. Everyone has a need. And you have to be clear about your needs and what's okay for you and what's not okay for you. And that goes, that goes for publicity, and it goes for your relationship with your girl. Dating coach Chris Luna here. This is the perfect time to take a quick break to talk to you about three simple things that you can do to dramatically change your life. First, listen to this entire podcast and then subscribe through SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher. This way you'll immediately be notified every time we share a new release. If you listen and apply the ideas we discuss on these podcasts, it will change your life forever. Second, go to craftchrisma.com, create an account, and become a member of our community. There you can read articles, listen to podcasts, watch videos, ask us questions, and document your journey in our forums. Great men don't become great on their own. All great men are members of a community, and Craft Charisma is your community. Finally, if you're serious, and I know that you are, about making massive changes to your life as quickly as possible, check out our live coaching programs on our website. Craft Charisma live programs are the fastest way to improve your dating and social life. And who knows, attend our live programs, let us get to know you, and you may end up 
as a member of the Craft Charisma team. Again, thank you for listening. Now back to the podcast. If there's a guy who's listening and he finds that the world is trying to move him in different directions, right? They're, they're, they're pushing him to be more feminine, to lose his nuts. How does he kind of get back on path? How does he kind of stay on course when the world is, is kind of pressuring him to conform, really? Well, what usually happens is like for those few men who come and talk to guys like me, They've been threatened with divorce. Their businesses are crumbling. They're miserable. Their kids don't want to have anything to do with them. And usually it has to get to a place where they have so fucked up their lives that they have to do something. Unfortunately, that's when most men reach out for help. And by that time, um, sometimes too much water has gone under the bridge and the relationship is done. Or sometimes the relationships with the kids can't be repaired. So... What they ought to do is that when they're not happy, when things don't seem right to them, that's the point that they should find help. Now, if only there were a men's group on every corner in the country, then men would know, oh, I, I need to go to my men's group. They'll help me. Because it is as simple as that. When you get the feedback from men, honest feedback, whether they're right or wrong, you have an opportunity to start wrestling with the issues. And then from, those, from that circle, you can get directed to whatever additional help you might need. But in my mind, the, the, the cure for all that ails us as men, as simplistic as this may sound, it's, it's having that circle of men. You will get everything you need from those men and the recommendations that will come from them. I'll give you an example. If Bill Clinton, who I think is an, an amazing man, brilliant, if he had been in a men's group and he had said to his weekly men's group, hey, I'm thinking about getting a blowjob from this <laughs> what would they have said to him? It was a bad idea. <laughs> Are you fucking out of your mind? Right? Mm -hmm. But he had no one to tell him, you're out of your mind. Yeah. And look what happened. And these are the conversations that we have. We've had the same conversations about guys attracted to their secretaries, having affairs, doing all sorts of things. And what we're doing is just holding up a mirror. It's like, you can be the man you want to be, but let me just point out to you that if this goes wrong, and there's a good chance it does, this is what you have to lose. And men usually don't hear that, and, and because they're unhappy and in their relationships or one thing or another, this greener pasture just is so attractive. When we're on our own, we, we tend to rationalize things, right? When we're isolated or we feel that we're isolated, we'll rationalize things that we want, which might not be the best things for us, right? Um, Usually not. Yeah. I feel like this is a great transition to talk a bit about kind of mindset. We're talking about it a lot already. How does somebody go from a problem-oriented mindset to a solution-oriented mindset? Right. So it's a, a common theme in terms of our discussions here is that get out of the problem and into the solution. As men, we need to be in the solution. Women are more comfortable in problems. Women are, generally speaking, women are okay with problems. 
and they'll talk about their problems and they'll sit with their problems for a long time and um, they don't want to offend anybody and so they're not going to necessarily you know, insult their friends around something and they'll just be with problems for a while and talking about them makes them feel better. That doesn't work for us men. We need to fix the problem. So when we're, when we're feminized or when we're acting like little boys, it's easy for us to throw tantrums and be in the problem. And so to be a man means, in my estimation, to fix your problem. Because we can talk about it all night, but if you don't do anything about it, you'll wake up the next morning and you'll feel just as miserable about it. It won't help. So one of the ways that we get out of the problem and into the solution is, is hearing how other men have solved their problems. Because we all have the same issues. You know, we might look different, have come from different socioeconomic backgrounds and race and all that, but we are, as a species, we are very much like one another. And it shows itself all the time at our, our men's retreats because guys are coming from all over the country, very different, um, on the surface, very different issues. And yet, when we get together and we break, we sort of rip apart all the layers, we see that, wow, I'm just like you, dude. That's amazing. Because I would never have even thought in a million years that I would be talking to a guy like you. I think it's so great. It makes me think of kind of a few things. It makes me think of Joseph Campbell's, uh, the hero, I mean, um, his uh, idea of like the hero's journey. And really he's talking about like the human condition. We all face the same type of challenges, obstacles. We have the same desires. We're so much more similar, regardless of where you're from, what your upbringing was, than we are different. I think that there's just some great ideas here. Look, even on the spiritual, the spiritual component is very important to me. And on a spiritual level, we are all one. We are, we all come from the same place and not just men, but men and women. You know, I do a lot of couples coaching and men and women, we want the same things in a relationship. You know, we want to be close. We want to have intimacy. We want to have great sex and laughter. We want to have that soulmate. We all want that. Although men and women will have different ways of describing it and behaving around it. We all want that thing, but there's something standing in the way of that and that's the ability to listen to each other. And, you know, it's, it's easy to deal with, you know, if, if the, the counseling goes well. But we all are very much alike. And yet, there is a big difference in terms of the way men are wired and women are wired, generally speaking, and how we address uh, the issues in our lives. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of the ideas in Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Yes. Like um, that's the same type of kind of concepts. Uh, a lot of the guys who are listening to this, I mean, all men, I mean, let's be honest, all men have kind of doubt, fear, insecurities. What are some effective strategies for kind of addressing these things and, and getting to what we want? Doubt kills the warrior. Something I learned a long time ago. Doubt kills the warrior. So as men, we need to go out and slay dragons. You know, we need to go out and kill our food. It looks different these days, but we still have responsibilities. And doubt will undermine all of it, doubt and fear. And um, how do you deal with that? Well, in psychology, there's a thing called uh, corrective emotional experiences. And that's when you do something that you've done before, but you have a different 
experience of it, a more positive experience of it. And when you add those corrective emotional experiences together, you start to change your attitude about it. Like, for instance, you know, you had an accident in the ocean when you were little and you're afraid of the ocean. Now you go in and you surf, you do this and that, and soon that starts to fade. So um, a good part of our work is about um, making commitments, honoring those commitments, and being held accountable to those commitments. And we do things around our fears, you know, and the thing to do around fear is to go into the fire, right? Whatever that thing is that's terrifying you, that's probably where you need to go. So how do you get the help you need to figure out how to approach that in a way that will work for you, that you can be successful at? And you keep doing that. And, you know, as, I, as in my case and so many other men that I've, I've seen over the years, six months, a year, five years later, you can be a completely different man around those issues. Yeah, I mean, I think about, I mean, this is actually an um, analogy Obama used, and he said that, uh, I mean, you can argue we love him or hate him, but early in his presidency, he said something that I really like, and he said the United States is kind of uh, like a cruise ship in the sense, or something like that, and in the sense that you move, all you have to do is move it a couple degrees, and after enough time, I mean, if you try to turn it around all at once, it's going to be, it's just not going to work. Right. Um, but if you, all you have to do is turn it in uh, a couple degrees and after enough time, it's going to be in a completely different place. And I think that uh, kind of that this, this idea is a good analogy for what we're talking about now, just taking small steps now or in a daily basis in a different direction. And you get, a, you get enough time under your belt, then, uh, you're going to be in a, you'll be a completely different man. I mean, is that kind of what you're talking about? Sure. And, and, but the, 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 um, the challenge for all of us, because by the time we get to asking for help, we've usually been dealing with the situation for so long. And now you're, you're suggesting that we have to be very patient because now it's going to take another long period of time. So that's why having faith, uh, building trust, you know, whatever your faith is, building trusting relationships with men that can support you as you make your way through. That's why that's so important because um, these critical changes do take time. Now, sometimes though, um, there are ch there are changes in behavior that you can make. Let's say in your relationships that you can go home tonight, do it, and find that your woman is responding so differently to you that you really have an epiphany that even in that slow process of that ship turning around, there are moments within that process that can seem quite accelerated. So, I mean, I think that's sort of like the universe saying, hey, I'm going to throw you a bone. It's going to get better. It's going to feel like this, but it's, you still have work to do. I think that's such a valuable, valuable point. Um, for, so a lot of guys, I mean, we talked a lot about men's, men's groups, and you're right, not every corner of the United States has a men's group. What can guys who are listening to this do to seek out male mentors and build relationships with other men who could potentially help to guide them as they like continue their own journey to being the man they want always wanted to be? Yeah, well, uh, that's what I've been trying to work on for a long time. Um, there are men's groups, quite a few in, in California, in Texas, in New England area. Um, but there's not a lot between the coasts, except church-related groups. Um, some of those um, work. Most of them I don't think do um, for a number of reasons. And I've talked to a lot of Christian men, and I've 
uh, actually run retreats with Christian men, and I can see how they're sort of shackled in what it means to be a good Christian man, that it keeps them from really opening up to who they are. And I've talked to pastors about that too. It's just a real issue in the community. Can, can you talk about some of those examples? Because I know exactly what you're talking about, but can you give a few examples of things that where people yeah. feel suppressed, for example? Yes. So um, I did a retreat up in San Jose, um, and I did sort of a watered-down version of our men's retreat um, because I, I took one guy with me to help me out, and usually on our weekends we have a team of 10 to 15 men. So we did what we could. And at one point, I went off script because I could see how much anger and rage there was in this group of Christian men. So I said, let's, let's, do, let's do an exercise. So we sort of quickly modified something that we normally do to allow the men to release their rage and anger, get together, see what's on the other side, which normally on the other side of all that rage is a lot of pain. So when you release the anger, you can end up grieving and you get real, right? And now you can connect with one another and, you know, be real with them. With, and whether there's something to do about it, who knows, but there's healing in it. Well, there were some of the older guys in this congregation who started quoting scripture um, to support their belief that a Christian man does not express rage. The pastor, who was on the younger side, who had motivated this whole retreat, he started quoting scripture that supported the expression of anger and rage, to be real. Well, some of these men refused to participate. And here they were, seething, visibly seething, and denying that they had the anger in them. So what happens to these good Christian men when they go home with their wives and kids? How tolerant can they be of the anger in their sons when they have no tolerance for their own anger? I I think religion serves a very important function for a lot of people, but I can see exactly exactly what you're saying. I mean, some of the other ideas that came to mind, the idea of shame and sexuality, like that's something else that I, I think that a lot of men struggle with, like they're ashamed of their sexual needs. And because of that, they suppress them. And what happens is people suppress, they suppress, they suppress. It's like a volcano and eventually they explode. Yes. So one of my, when I was getting my uh, master's in clinical psych, one of my teachers said, um, what gets repressed gets expressed. And it's expressed in a twisted way. And so that's why we have such a huge uh, online sex industry. That's why so many men are funding prostitution and why porn is so huge because men are not getting what they need and they have, and there's no, there's no socially acceptable way for them to deal with it. For instance, If you want to have sex with another woman and you're married, the only, listen to this, the only socially acceptable way to have sex with another woman is to divorce the woman you're married to. Now, I'm not suggesting that that's the solution to issues, 
but men are divorcing their women and throwing their children under the bus so they can get laid by another woman. That's insane. It is insane. Now, there are all sorts of feelings about who we are sexually. A real great book is um, Sex at Dawn. Mm-hmm. It talks about human sexuality in a new light. There are, there are people who have you know, uh, polyamorous relationships and open marriages and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think open marriages are real tricky, and I think uh, for the most part they don't work because people aren't really dealing with their issues. However, there are people living alternative lifestyles, and it works for them, uh, but the culture will, you know, judges them. And on top of that are all of the um, unhealthy messages that we received as boys from pop culture, from our ignorant parents around sexuality. And now everything is so overly sexualized that kids in elementary school and middle school are having sex with each other because they think that's just normal. So in a a real way, we are living in an absolute mess of a culture on so many levels. And uh, I think all we can do, the most, I mean, the least and the most, it depends on how you look at it, is clean up your own house and be an example to the people in your own family and in your own circle about what it means to be a good, honest, healthy man. Yeah, I think there's so many great points here. I mean, I was thinking about even while you're talking from a physiological perspective, if a man isn't having sex and he isn't masturbating, his body will ejaculate anyway. He'll just start having wet dreams. But it's so, but there's so many, there's just so much suppression. I mean, that's an example of sexual suppression where your body's going to go back to the volcano uh, analogy explode. But there's just so many examples of where we see this in society. I want to talk a little bit about this idea of a transition into manhood what does it mean to be initiated into manhood and how does the guy know he's still a boy and he needs to man up right okay so two parts so the initiatory process is very much what you described earlier in the tribal cultures where you know um the what initiation looks like in some of those existing cultures and some of these ancient ones is that at a certain point the the men snatch the boys from their mothers in the dark of night. And the mothers are complicit. They know this is coming. And they're screaming and crying. And the boys are taken out into the bush, into the jungle, wherever, in the mountains. And they are taught by the men of their village that it is time now to kill the boy. You have no more need for the boy. That boy name is over. We've given you a new name. We're going to mark you, tattoos or piercings. And you are going to prove yourself and learn the skills that you need to be a successful man, whether that's surviving and maybe barely surviving uh, in the wilderness. And when you come back home, that boy has no place. Okay. In our culture, that doesn't happen. The closest thing to initiation is military. Yeah, I was thinking one of my best friends is in the special forces. He had to do survival training, and it sounds similar, but keep going. But, but look what happens to our boys who go to war. They come back so damaged that it's really not an initiation that we want for our guys. Um, so we don't have that now. Bar mitzvahs don't count. 
you know, their, their ceremonies thrown by men who are still boys. Many of these fathers, and I'm, I'm a Jew, I live in a big Jewish community, and there's a, an epidemic of good little Jewish boy syndrome. And these boys had, did not have good examples. Um, they were raised by their mothers who ruled the roost, and these men are afraid of their women, and they're afraid of their wives. And they are initiating their boys. It doesn't happen. So what do we do about it? So our men's weekend and other men's weekends like um, Sterling Weekend, Mankind Projects, the Warrior Training Weekend, they offer initiatory experiences. So the way I describe it is that our Better Men Weekend is a sort of the beginning of an initiation. Um, we have tests, we do things, all sorts of things, right? And the weekend, the men love it. And they come out of it very different. But it's still the beginning. They have had an experience of themselves as a man with men in all these various situations. And so they've had a chance to either reconnect or discover for themselves who that man is for them. And they learn some tools. But then they have to go home, and the initiation has to continue because not everybody is on board with that. Their wives, the kids, the world, they're not on board. So the initiation continues, and they need continued support to be that man. So the second part of this is like, how does a man know that he's being a boy and not being that man? Let me just say this. If you have any doubt, I guarantee you, you're being a boy in your, in your life. Um, when you're having tantrums, when you get angry with your wife because she didn't read your mind, when you're impatient, when you have road rage, when you get into arguments with people at work, when you brood, I mean, there are just so many symptoms of being a boy. And In my book, one of the chapters is called Silence the Little Boy. That's one of the eight tools that, that I sort of you know, gathered the information into my book. Eight tools to being a better man and eight tools to honoring your nuts. The first one, and the most important and the most painful part of the book for most guys who read it, is silencing the little boy because the way I describe it in very general terms, every man sees himself in that chapter. And they know that that's playing a role in why they're not having the relationship or the success that they want. This is wonderful. Can you, can you talk about some of the other tools that you talk about in the book? Yeah, so I'll just I'll, I'll rattle them off. We can pick at whichever one. So silence a little boy. Express but don't defend your feelings. Cooperate without compromising your nuts. Run the sex and romance departments. Be the rock. Don't argue. Listen and develop trusting relationships with men. I could talk about all of them, but yep. talk a little bit about the idea of running the bedroom. Yeah, run the sex and romance department. That's our job. <laughs> if we're not having the sex that we want, then we're not doing something right. Now, that doesn't mean that she's not a participant, but she needs to be led. If she doesn't know where to go, then you need to lead her. And if you don't know where to go, then you need to ask for help. Now, what we think sex is, what sex can be, is really quite a convoluted scene these days with, with all the porn. Um, it's really polluted our minds. 
you know, I, I wrote an article about having to empty the cache, you know, like a computer has a cache, and you can push a button and empty it. And the cache stores images and information that you went out seeking on the web and keeps it handy. The problem with us is that all those images that we see, all those porn images that we see, get stored in our cache. And we can't empty it. They're there. So what we want to do with a woman is what we saw in that movie. And uh, nine times out of ten, the women don't want that. But these days, girls have grown up also seeing those movies. And they've grown to believe that that's what men want and need and that's what they ought to do. So there's a lot of discussion, you know, in the women's community about women standing up and not participating in some of these pornographic sort of behaviors. Anyway, it's a mess. Um, but there are healthy resources out there. Um, there are seminars and counselors, and there are great tips that you can get from the men in your life if you ask, like, what do you do? How do I solve this problem? Um, you know. One of the things that comes up all the time is that everything is foreplay in a relationship. Everything. From the minute you wake up is foreplay. So if your wife is not doing for you what you want, she's probably not getting what she wants from you. And it's time that you start taking a look at it. Can you give some examples of some healthy foreplay? Because I think some of the guys who are listening to this might think, well, they might start going to validation seeking behaviors in order to, and they'll think that's foreplay. And I don't think that's what you mean. No, exactly. You, but that's why all these components are so integrated. You have to have your nuts. You have to know what it means for you to be a man. Once you're clear about being a man, you can take out the garbage or make the bed without whining. You know, if she asks you to do something and you said you do it, then do it. If she asks you to hang the curtain and you keep putting it off, don't expect to have a happy wife. So every man has to know his woman. Every man has to take these tools and apply them to their own relationship. But once you are solid and clear about who you are, and you know that those nuts never get compromised, everything else can be compromised because you're safe which movie you go to, which restaurant you go to, whatever. But when you find yourself making a big deal about something inconsequential, you know that you are way off base. And that leads to arguments. And when you're arguing, you is another signal that you're not doing something right because one of the tools is don't argue. Now, there is there are therapists who believe and they have all sorts of wonderful little handouts that describe what healthy arguing is about, and I think it's nonsense. If you're arguing, you're being an idiot, period. If you have something to say, say it. If you have a point of view, share it. But why are you arguing? And usually, it's because you got your feelings hurt. You're not being heard. You don't like the response. You're not getting what you want, and you argue. And if you argue with the woman you care about, you are just chopping at her femininity, and you are undermining the strength of your relationship, guaranteed. 
What is the difference between arguing and honestly stating what you want and then having her state what she wants and having them be different? Yeah. Well, we view things differently. Let's figure out how we could come to some sort of way of dealing with it if we have to. When it comes to parenting and we have opposing views, sometimes it requires some counseling to help figure out a healthy path. But, you know, I think she's beautiful. Well, I don't. Okay. Why do I need you to think the same way as I do? Why do you have to have the same opinion? And that moves back to the idea of being the rock. Yeah. Be the rock. It's like if you're okay with who you are, you won't behave this way. And that's why I'm saying that most men are not okay with who they are. And that's why all these symptoms show themselves in their relationships. Wayne, this is absolutely great. I'm running out of time, so I need to wrap this up. But thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. It's been an absolute pleasure. And if you're listening and you want to learn more about Wayne, his seminars, his workshops, his book, and you guys should definitely read it. It's called Hold On To Your Nuts, The Relationship Manual for Men. If you want to find out more about him, we're going to post some links in the Craft Charisma website and within the description of this podcast so you can find out about him more easily. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. It was a great conversation, Chris. Thanks so much. It's dating coach Chris Thona here. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And we absolutely love making this podcast. We make this podcast for you. So if there's somebody that you want on the show, let me know. I will yell, scream, stand in front of their house, do everything I do to get them on the show for you. Also, don't hesitate to follow the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and Stitcher. You can also give us a shout out through social media, Facebook, Twitter, share it with your friends. And lastly, Go to the Craft Charisma website and create an account. There you can talk about the podcast and communicate with me directly. So thank you again for taking time to listen. You will hear again from me soon.